Let's get it. Monday, August 30th, 2021. Born the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. However you listen to this podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, the player inside the blog. Hope you're having a great week outside of podcast land. I usually record these earlier in the week. I felt like I had to come back this week and re-record this one, part of this one a little bit. Um, if, you're a, if you're a Marine, if you're in the Navy, uh, if you're in the military, not the greatest of weeks, actually. Uh, last week was a tough one. Uh, thinking about the Marines and the, and the sailor that we lost last week. May their families find comfort knowing that they were doing a duty to serve other people and to save lives. And may we all think about them during this time. And may we never, never forget. Personally, if this is still getting at you or getting to you, uh, talk to a friend, man of faith, chaplain, uh, talk to someone. Uh, you know, VA also has a lot of resources from vet centers to, to mental health services, to, to, to the veterans crisis line. Um, worst thing you can do is, is bury it, let it eat at you. Talk to someone, get it out there. And, uh, and know you're not alone. And as always, I am, you know, uh, we have an email here too at the podcast, podcast at va.gov here for you. Personally, I was recently welcomed back to my first alumni, alumni. I'm the alumni, right? My first, my first school, uh, the defense information school, uh, the DOD, the DOD's defense information school to speak at the 2021 DINFO's social media forum. Uh, did a talk on planning a podcast from a government perspective, right? You know, it's the, it was the first time in my life that over 1,000 people signed up to, I don't know, see me do anything. Uh, hope I shared some information that others can can take back to their respective communication shops, whatever it be. It would be a combat camera in the, in the DOD, be it a, a public affairs shop in the FBI, what have you. I want to thank Quande Hall, Sterling McKinley, and their team for allowing me to speak on a topic that I'm very passionate about. And if you're listening to this podcast for the first time because of that form, welcome to the show. Two reviews came in from Apple Podcast. First one is from Photo Man Josh, says five stars. Great job. Wanted to provide a review for your great podcast. I enjoy your topics, guests, and outreach to our amazing veterans. Truly exceptional and inspiring content. I did not serve in uniform but I'm serving our vets as an employee of VA. Keep up the great work. Uh, I appreciate the review, Photo Man Josh. And now if you work for VA, brother, hit me up on the emails. I'm in, I'm in the global. Second one is from V0V10. Uh, I, I'm a, I don't know how to pronounce that. Vov10. What's a zero though? I don't know. VOV10 had a Charlie Sheen reference. It says five stars winning. Hi, Tanner. You make me laugh out loud when I hear you laugh. This show relaxes me when I hear other veteran stories. 
The brotherhood and sisterhood in the military is very special, agreed, and this show brings us closer together. The information learned here is very valuable for veterans to hear what is available for them. Keep up the good work. Appreciate the write-in, VOV10. Love to laugh. Who doesn't? Uh, You must be listening to the bonus content on the back of some of these episodes. And if you are, congratulations. You already know, uh, I'm looking for that next review. If you haven't yet, please consider writing one for Born the Battle on Apple Podcasts. Doing so does help us climb higher in the algorithms, giving more veterans a better opportunity to discover and listen to the interviews, our benefits breakdown episodes, so they get to know some of the programs and resources within VA. We break it all down. And they learn what's in the news releases. It's also the best way for me to communicate with you and respond to you and and all of that. Speaking of news releases, we got two this week. Uh, Been getting two a week. Uh, Hey, you know, hey, VA, that is consistent. It is a consistent good pace for me. No complaints. First one says for immediate release, says as a follow-up to National Financial Awareness Day, August 14th. Didn't know that was a thing. The Department of Veterans Affairs is launching an awareness campaign to inform elderly wartime veterans and their families of their lesser known pension, funeral, burial, and survivor benefits. The following benefits are available through VA's pension and fiduciary service for use in planning and preparing for their future. And I'm just going to run down some of these pretty quickly here. So the first one is a VA pension is payable to wartime veterans who are permanently and totally disabled due to non-service connected disabilities or who are age 65 years or older who meet certain income and net worth limits. Special monthly pension is an additional benefit for veterans in receipt of, pe- in receipt of pension who are housebound and require the aid of attendance of another person to help them with their daily activities, such as eating, bathing, dressing, etc., or have very limited eyesight or require nursing home care. For surviving spouses, there are two types of uh, pension and fiduciary service offers. Survivor's pension provides monthly payments to qualified surviving spouses and unmarried dependent children of wartime veterans who meet certain income and net worth limits. Special monthly pension is also available to surviving spouses who are housebound or require the aid and attendance of another pension. Dependency and indemnity is available to dependents and parents and generally is not based on income and assets, except the income limits apply to parents. That is a monthly monetary benefit paid to a surviving spouse, child, or parent of a veteran who died from a service-related injury or illness, or when on active duty service member dies in the line of duty. Special monthly dependency and indemnity compensation is also available to surviving spouses who are housebound or require the aid of attendance of another person, just like the last one. Also, a surviving spouse of a veteran who served on a Blue Water Navy vessel offshore of the Republic of Vietnam or on another U.S. Navy or Coast Guard ship operating in the coastal waterways of Vietnam between January 9th, 1962 and May 7th of 1975, and we have a full benefits breakdown on Blue Water Navy. They also may be eligible for DIC benefits, even if they were previously denied. Two more. Uh, VA funeral and burial benefits are also available for both service-related and non-service-related deaths. New regulations allow a flat rate burial and plot or internment allowance with decreased paperwork and maximum payment permitted by law. And finally, for those interested in burial benefits such as a presidential memorial certificate, burial flag, headstone, or marker, the National Cemetery Administration has information about pre-need eligibility. Goes on and it says many vulnerable senior wartime veterans are targeted with misinformation. In many cases, this is because they are not fully aware of their benefits, which increases the chances of them being taken advantage of or defrauded. 
Fact sheets are available to assist veterans with limited resources. Pension eligibility information has details on how veterans and their families can get help filing their claim for free. Now, the URLs for the fact sheets and pension eligibility, they're pretty atrocious for me to repeat. They're long and include characters that I don't even know what to call them, ampersands and whatnot. So like always, the link to this news release is in the show notes of this episode, and it will also be in this episode's blog on blogs.va.gov. All right, next one says, for immediate release, the Department of Veterans Affairs will begin awarding $106.4 million in grants starting September 30th to more than 200 community organizations under VA's grant per diem program. GPD provides funding to community organizations that provide transitional housing and supportive services for veterans at risk of or experiencing homelessness and aims to help them achieve residential stability, increase skill levels and income, and obtain greater self-determination. VA will award three different types of grants to address the unique needs of veterans who are experiencing or at risk of homelessness. And I'll run down those real quick. First one is capital grants, which will provide funding for community organizations to build or renovate facilities that serve veterans experiencing homelessness and are authorized through the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act established in 2020. VA award 60 capital grants totaling approximately $64.2 million to provide and I'm assuming maintain over 1,400 new beds over the course of a year and a half to two years. Next one is the case management grants. They will be used to support case managers who provide services to help veterans maintain self-sufficiency and housing stability. A total of over 120 grants to organizations are ordered to support over 150 case managers, totaling about $28.4 million over two years. And finally, the special needs grants will provide funding for community organizations that help veterans experiencing homelessness with special needs, such as women veterans, those with chronic mental illness, and those who care for minor dependents. A total of 26 grants to organizations will be awarded to to over 200 beds, totaling about $23.75 million over three years. For the complete list of GPD grantees and nonprofit organizations, visit www.va.gov forward slash homeless forward slash GPD dot ASP. All right. This week's interview is a bit of a treat for moi. I am, I'm a bit of a gamer, uh, not so much for time for it now, but there was a time that gaming was my hobby. Now it is one of my hobbies, one of my outlets. And I used to play this game series. You may have heard of it. Elder Scrolls. I played Morrowind in Iraq, Skyrim in Syracuse and Elder Scrolls online when I initially got out. Pretty hardcore for a couple years. Uh, well, imagine my chagrin, and I hope I'm using that word in the right context. I don't even know. I'm just rolling with it. Uh, well, imagine my, again, imagine my chagrin when I learned that there was a veteran involved in the production of Elder Scrolls Online, which by the way, is also one of the largest massive multiplayer onlines in the world. Army veteran Tommy Davis is a former infantry soldier turned quality assurance tester for ZeniMax Media and Elder Scrolls Online. Enjoy. Um, you know, you started uh, quality assurance testing, uh, game testing, a game that I personally had a healthy addiction to uh, <laughs> circa 2016, 2017. Uh, nice. Man, I, w- I was in a major guild. Uh, I I hardly ever played the gr- game in groups, though. I was uh, I was mostly just a, a single player 
player cool. playing for the playing for the story. Um, yeah. But I was but I was a beast in the trading game, man. I was a beast. Oh in the wow! Oh, <laughs> well, you're I more was, talented than me. <laughs> uh, well, I was a level ten character, so it's not like I played the game that much. Mm-hmm. But I had the most expensive items. I was like, for like, oh, for like the okay. top players and the, the most expensive materials, the items that craft certain uh, armor styles. I was like, what you need? And they're like, how are you a level 10 that has all this? I was like, bro, don't worry about this. Do you want this or that? Wow. You know, um, this you is before they. supply they, guy. Yeah, exactly. I'm supply. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was uh, before they even incorporated the chat f- function. Uh, we'd hold open oh. air. We'd hold open air auctions in Daggerfall. Uh, cool. It was a good. It was a good time. It was a good time. I like Daggerfall, uh, Glenumbra. Exactly the, the the starter spot. The starter spot. <laughs> um, no time for that game anymore, though. It's like you always have to stay on top of it. Oh well, it's a good time to jump in now. They've been doing a lot of work on it, and uh, like you, I had played a while ago, and then um, since I started working at Xenomax Online Studios, I've been playing a lot more of it, obviously. Yeah, and. Uh, they've been doing some really incredible things. I've been really fortunate to be able to work on this project, especially during this past year uh, in the pandemic. So um, the, when I first started, we were, they were introducing dragons in um, the land of elsewhere. And that's spelled E L S W E Y R. And it was really cool because it was a huge group fight. There's a ton of people there and these dragons are just coming in and, and whooping on you. And it was See, a really I, cool experience. I had no, I had no idea dragons were even there in, in the in the game yet. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, now there's dragons in the game, and um, I got my first credit on Elder Scrolls Online Greymore, and I'm really proud of that because that was um, the first time you could go to uh, uh, Skyrim Tamriel, and you go. Uh, I forget the name of the place now. There was a, a location in Elder Scrolls Five Skyrim where it's like on a, a land bridge overseeing the water. Okay. And solitude. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Solitude. So you can go to solitude, but this time, instead of doing it single player, you can go there with your guild, uh, with all your friends and uh, your teammates that you play with. And uh, it was really cool to see that happen. And, and the player reactions to it were really great. And the fans uh, in the Elder Scrolls Online community are very passionate and very involved with the game. Yeah, I've uh, we've got a veteran uh, I talk to a lot. She's one of the she's a streamer that streams Elder Scrolls Dova Dova. Uh, She's going to be she's going to hit me and be like, why didn't you know my real name? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, uh, why didn't you? you, Yeah, Dova. She's she does. does All right. Before we get too deep in that whole area, um, uh, if everyone's probably listening, like, what the hell are they talking about? Um. First question, you know, I, I want to go way back. Let's go way back. Um, were you always a gamer even before the military? And what games did you grow up with? Yeah, I, always. Lifelong gamer. I grew up, at first I didn't have a video game system and I would just go to friends' houses and play. And I, I remember the first experience I had playing a video game. Uh, I'd gone to my friend's apartment. I was maybe four. And he had a Nintendo Entertainment System and a Power Glove. Oh, so wow. he, was, he was one of the rare, he was the only person I've ever met that actually had one. And <laughs> so I got to play a glove, with, play a game with the power glove. And that was just the most mind blowing thing I'd ever experienced at four years old, of course. Yeah. Um, but ever since then, I had just been drawn to that. So uh, I ended up getting a Nintendo Entertainment System at some point. 
Sega Genesis and just all the way up through, you know, till now, uh, I always get my hands on whatever system I can. Gotcha. What, uh, what games were you drawn to growing up? The first game I ever played, um, that was my own was Qbert. I don't know if you remember that game, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. it was, uh, it was a top down isometric game and you're a little orange guy and you hop around. Um, that was pretty fun, but I, I think games like Legend of Zelda to me back then were really challenging. Mega Man. I loved Mega Man. Yeah. And I think that the biggest series growing up that drew me into video games was Castlevania. I loved Castlevania Symphony of the Night. I played that on the, um, the first PlayStation. Yeah. And that was a real mind blowing game because you could play through the whole game, go through the whole level and there was a map and you could see your progress. But if you, if you beat the last boss, it, the, the credits would roll and that'd be it. But if you had a certain piece of equipment, there was like a hidden thing with the boss, you would defeat that and unlock the, the castle would flip upside down. And then there was a whole other side of the game that you never would even know about. And so things like that are, are really mind blowing uh, experiences to me. And that kind of development, that kind of uh, design is just amazing. So e- you got a big thing for Easter eggs. Yeah. Yeah. Easter eggs <laughs> are great. <laughs> well, that's one thing that Elder Scrolls really does r- really well. I, I remember playing Skyrim and, and, and seeing the, uh, you know, Lady in the Lake and all the other Easter eggs that they had in the, in the game. Um, and they had the Minecraft pickaxe in the top of the mountain. Yes. yes all good <laughs> stuff. Well, the first question we, we usually ask, uh, is, is when did you know that the military was going to be the next step in your life? So I uh, grew up in Maryland and I had, I was going to community college and I wasn't really getting anywhere with that. Uh, I was getting really frustrated with academics and I, I wasn't um, progressing the way I wanted to at the speed I wanted to. And so one day I just sat up and I went to a recruiting station and uh that was pretty much it. I, I had one conversation with them. I was into it. I, I signed up and I decided to go in the U S army, uh, active duty. Um, I believe my first contract is actually 11 x-ray. And so it was like, you, you were going to go to infantry basic training and then you might get an opportunity to go to ranger. Uh, okay. Ranger battalion. Yeah. Um, I performed well in basic training and performed well enough to where one of the drill sergeants offered me, uh, an 18 x-ray contract. And, uh, so that meant that I was going to go to airborne school and then go try out for selection. So that's what I did. Wow. Wow. Uh, now you said you had only one conversation with a recruiter. Was it, you just walked in you were like, all right, you know what? I just want to go in the military. Let's just do it. Yeah. 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 Incredible. Total, total dive. Uh, I was unsatisfied with, with college. I was unsatisfied with my own ability to get to where I wanted to. And, um, I was passionate even then about video games and building computers is really expensive. So if, if you don't have a good skill set, um, work wise, it's, it's hard to, to manage that. So I decided to just dive right in. And I knew that I needed a better skill set, a better work ethic, 
I needed to hear from other people, uh, other mentors about uh, how to perform better, how to be a better person individually. Uh, so I really was drawn to things like the Army's value system. Okay. I think that's really worthwhile. Um, I didn't explore too many of the career options. I was a hard charger. I was like, <laughs> let's do infantry. Let's do airborne. Uh, I went to selection. I didn't get selected. So I went to the infantry and uh, I didn't go to an airborne unit either. I went to a straight leg unit out in um, Fort Lewis and uh shout out to Apache Company 423 Infantry Regiment. There you go. I served with them for a few years and then, um, and then I decided to try and get back into special operations and, and I applied and, uh, I ended up going and getting into PSYOP. Okay. Um, so Fort Lewis, that's my neck of the woods. That's where I grew up. I grew up oh, cool. uh, out in the Pacific Northwest, about two hours West, uh, on the beaches, uh, Aberdeen, Hoquiam area, Grace Harbor. So know the area. Well, uh, no, I know I five very well. Know that traffic right outside of Fort Lewis is, is, uh, not always the best time. Um, your bio said that you went to Haiti and Afghanistan. Did you go to Haiti during the 2010 quake? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That was my first deployment. So, uh, the earthquake happened. We saw it on the news. I was, I had had medical training when I was in the infantry. I got to get my, uh, EMT basic. Um, and so I was like, I was, I was just thinking I could be useful out there. And we were in a, we were in our pre-deployment training phase for Afghanistan. So I figured it would be a good time to put some of the, the training I had into practice. Um, my NCOIC was like, why are you volunteering to do anything like that? It's, this is crazy. So but you then, went as like a, you went as like an individual augmentee. You didn't, no, you didn't go as a unit. No, okay. no, 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 no. It was, it was, so I, I volunteered to no like official manner or anything. I just told my NCOIC I wanted to do it. And uh, <laughs> he just kind of laughed in my face like, so? <laughs> and it's okay. It was a normal reaction. But then like, I, I want to say that same day within a few hours, he said to everybody, he's like, all right, get ready to go. Get packed up. We're going down to Haiti. And so within 24 hours of, of that breaking news, we were on a plane going down there, flying into that airfield. Uh, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that experience. And it was so humid. I have never experienced humidity like that before in my life. It was mm. insane. What, what are you not going to forget? from that experience besides the humidity? Uh, it was total destruction. Uh, that earthquake ravaged that country and I, I felt uh, horrible for everybody there. Um, fortunately, there were a lot of positive people on the ground, uh, the locals and a lot of the nonprofits that were there uh, assisting things. So yeah, there was a lot happening. Um, the, yeah, go the ahead. Destruction was pretty wild. So, in the in the one area that we were in, there was a we were handling rice distribution, and all it was like a residential area around a, a clinic, and all those buildings were crumbled except for like one. And uh, the guy who owned that house, I got to meet him actually, and he was a uh, he was from he was actually an American citizen and worked for Boeing, and. So he was an engineer and had constructed his house to his own specifications and standards. So his house was still standing. And I thought that was pretty incredible. And he explained to me all of it, like 
why the building fell and why his was still standing. There wasn't much damage there. Um, but it was, it was, it was crazy. What what was the, why was there so much destruction? Was it just the coding that they just didn't have much codes as far as earthquake protection? From what what the, I had been told on the ground, just from people I had met while we were working down there was that there were government regulations and building codes, but they were never met and they would never complete projects as a way of like getting around that loophole with the, the government code. So essentially what this engineer told me was that um, the concrete for the sidewalls, for the supporting walls, needs to have something like two parts concrete to one part water and, and brand new rebar. But all, a lot of the homes had heavy roofs as well. So you would do the same mixture on that, but they would go half on the mixture to save resources and then use recycled uh, rusted rebar. Oof. And so you have these heavy roofs, weak walls, and then the, the earthquake wasn't even that bad. Like, a, I think it was a seven point something. And St- normally something like that, it'll shake things a little bit, but it won't take buildings down. Yeah. But in Haiti, like all of the buildings fell. So like, or not all of them, but a great amount. Like 90% and of them. Heavy roofs, weak walls, it just crushed. So a lot of the injuries that I saw out there were like crushing injuries, frac- uh, skull fractures, um, things of that nature. Yeah. Uh, recent guest, Jake Wood, um, that's where he started team Rubicon, him and eight volunteers. Yeah. So he talked about that. Uh, now it's a huge NGO. Uh, if you're listening to this really good episode in the archives, if you want to check that one out, um, really good stuff. But what year did you go to Afghanistan? It was right after Haiti. <laughs> like bam, bam. Yeah. Yeah. Like we came back for a few weeks and then got back on another plane and, and went out to Afghanistan. Wow. So 20, probably 2011, 2012. What was the mission out there? Where, where, where were we at? We were doing village stability operations out in Farah. And okay. uh, it, it wasn't too bad. It was more or less what I expected. You know, vil, uh, village stability operations, I think, was like phase four of the whole plan for Afghanistan. And I had spent a lot of years in training for that. So it was more or less what I expected. A lot of sand, a lot of explosions. Um, but we were doing good things. So like one of the focuses on the efforts out there was on uh, girl schools, like, uh, K I, I don't know what the age range was, but for really young girls okay, to give them some basic, uh, education. And I was really excited to be a part of that. In fact, at one point I got to, um, I got to meet the minister of education in, in Afghanistan. He was really old, oh, wow. really old. Like, wow. He, he looked maybe a hundred <laughs> wow. or more and wow. he had traveled such a great distance to meet me. And I was, I was really honored by that. And he was so passionate about education. I'm also passionate about education. So I love talking to him about it. And so that was just a really cool experience. Um, and he, he was dressed. Yeah. Normally, like he had the, the normal uh, garb that they wear out there. So it's not like he was in a, in a suit or anything. He dressed yeah. like everybody else did there. And very humble. He was very cool guy. So he came to meet you. What, what were you, what was your mission? Were you not, was it to meet you or to meet the unit or like, was, was he like to meet Tom Davis? 
<laughs> no, not me. Not okay. <laughs> I, I was not some kind of rock star guy out there. Uh, I was just there supporting the the team out there. So I was. I was so he came, to, he, he came to meet the like the unit and stuff. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, while you were in Tommy, uh, give me either a a best friend or your greatest mentor. I would say. Uh, two really good friends that I met while I was in was um, Joe Cruz, Joey Cruz and Jared Nelson. So we had gone through uh, the PSYOP training together. They're still in, they're doing great. They're awesome. Uh, and they just have a really positive attitude, positive attitude towards them. And uh, me and I can't remember if Joey was there, but Jared had uh we had both been in Haiti and Afghanistan. So we had both done that back to back. And it was funny because I ran into Jared. We were in different areas. Like we all get spread out. So at one point we got caught in a sandstorm. We were out on a, we were just convoying out somewhere. And this sandstorm was bad. Like IMAX movie screen bad. Like it's just a huge <laughs> wall of sand and it was coming faster than you could believe. So we had the, we found another base to pull off in and there's so many people there right when you go to these bases and then i run into jared of all the people and so uh it was just really cool to to see him and meet him um after going through all that Uh, but he's really tough guy Uh, i don't know how he's still how all those guys jump out of airplanes for (laughs) 15 20 years and they're like lifers and they're just uh yeah that's a young you know for a lot of us it's a a young man's game you you look at the old the old dogs doing you're like well what are you how are you doing that is it is it ben gay is it (laughs) they've they've got some uh i don't know (laughs) there's some secret they've got (laughs) is it is it maybe is it amazing to you that the, you know, some of the guys that you were PFCs and, and specialists with, you're seeing them now as like staff sergeants, sergeant first classes, like NCOs that you're like, I remember when, I remember when you were the young guy, you know? <laughs> I, I think it's tremendous, honestly, because like I was, I was totally the, the private potato type. I had the goofy glasses and shaved head and everything. And I didn't, you know, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. So like I was aimless and directionless and had no skills. So to the great thing about the army is they can take you from that and really mold you and shape you into something useful. Yeah. So for society. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I see those guys get promoted and, and move up in the ranks, I am, I'm extremely proud because it takes a lot of courage and a lot of, you need, you've got to be so solid to be able to stand up there and and put yourself out like that and take on those responsibilities, you know, because with that rank comes a heavy amount of responsibility. And uh, so I think everybody who who goes beyond that into like, into any leadership role in the military is is doing tremendous work. Outstanding. Outstanding. So when and why did you decide to leave active duty? My contract was ending and my goal, one of my goals while I was in during that contract was to get my bachelor's degree, like while I was in active service. Um, I was able to complete courses here and there, but only like one at a time. Yeah. 
and I was always in training and always in the field. So it didn't really work well for doing online courses. And so, um, by the time I was done with those deployments, I, and I had actually completed a course while I was deployed. So I was, I was getting well on my way. Yeah. Um, but I still didn't have that. And I said, you know what? I just need to take the time, focus on that, get that degree and see what my next steps are. Gotcha. So what years did you serve total? It was uh, what time, what year did you get out? So I got in in 2005 and then I got out at 2011. Okay. Wow. You must have had a longer, is that, did you do two contracts or was that just one? That's just one. Wow. So you, so you really dove in when you went to that recruiting office, you're like, this is like, give me the max contract. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I didn't, I didn't wow. want an option out. I was like, I just need to learn. I need to get disciplined yeah. and, and this is the way. Wow. Very good. Very good. Um, now did you know gaming, the gaming industry was where you wanted to go right after you got out? No, I was no. playing video games, but it was just more to relax. Yeah. Um, when I got out, I had more of a mindset that I might do work with um, USAID because I got to work with USAID pretty closely out in uh, Haiti, yeah. um, working logistically with getting rice to everybody and, and cooking materials and uh, other supplies. So I, I really admired work like that. I thought humanitarian uh, work was maybe where I was going. Um, but ultimately, I was playing more and more video games. And I was enjoying that experience and I ended up getting, I changed majors. Um, I was a philosophy major and a, a double major for Russian. So, okay. <laughs> and I, I had just decided, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's, it's stressing me out. I'm not having a good time. Yeah. So uh, I changed majors to fine art because I had really enjoyed art when I was younger. I decided it would be a maybe more worthwhile experience because I was looking for, personally um something challenging but the the solution had to be uh to these problems a little more complex and that, so i like finding solutions to visual problems in art so things mm. like uh, composition and lighting i think are interesting and these are the kind of things i might break down if i'm watching a tv show uh, a movie or even playing a video game so i enjoyed the complex scenarios those complex problems and and seeing how I was progressing my way through those problems. I thought it was really interesting. It sounds like your artistic eye goes beyond just gaming. Like if you're breaking down scenes and films and things like that, it's like the same things I do with composition, light, that sort of thing. Very good. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah, and that's, and I was wondering, that's why I was like, why did you go to George Washington university over say like a, a, a gaming arts university, like full sale or something like that. And that now it yeah. makes sense. You completely changed your major. You had something else going. Yeah. Um, and I was already a transfer student going in. So like, I had changed my major a couple of times uh, by the time I had gotten there. So I couldn't yeah. really figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up <laughs> until I, I, was there I, go there. I was there myself. I think when I look back at my, my academic career, I look at like to get my bachelor's, it was like a, something like seven different institutions, like five of them were when I was in the military, six of them, something like that. Yeah. 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 It, it's kind of a, you know, you, and you just hope that all like when you go to your, get your final school, you're like, how many credits will you take? <laughs> you <know>? like, <laughs> yeah. like when you're making that final decision, like I'm going to get my bachelor's. Uh, I think the big, one of the bigger decisions is, um, you know, which one's going to take the most credits to just get it done. You know? Yeah. When um, I first went in, I, I hard charged in my first semester at GW too. And I, I had signed up for six courses whoa. and that was not smart. <laughs> I had to, I had to take a step back and really take a knee and reevaluate what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Now you were also, and it's, you were also doing extra, 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 extra curricular activities uh, as a, like a former president of GW Veterans. I'm assuming that's an on-campus organization. Yeah. So um, GW Veterans is a chapter of Student Veterans of America. Okay, great. I, I think SBA still has their office near GW or like on GW's campus. If, if it's, I think it's still there. And uh, so Student Veterans of America is a great organization. They focus on uh, issues with veterans and education. I think this was formed around um, making sure the GI Bill was getting processed correctly at institutions. And it's a, it's, it was actually probably the number one reason why I went to GW. Um, when I got back from deployment, before I had even gotten out, I, I drove up to DC just to check out the campus. And I linked up with uh, the vets that were there currently that were uh, going to school and uh, NGW veterans. And when I met them, I felt that sense of community that I was really looking for. And, uh, and that really pulled me in. So I was determined to, to go there. I really need to interview them. I know they've been, they were on a lot when I had the previous guest or the previous host, Tim Lawson hosted born the battle before it became a video thing and everything. It's in the archives. He's in, he's interviewed, you know, Jared Lyon, all, all the you know, presidents, the student. Oh, veteran. Yeah. They do like the student veteran of the year. He's interviewed a bunch of them. He was very, very involved in, in fleshing out uh, the student veterans of America. And we haven't really done an episode in probably about two years. Maybe it's time to revisit them. Um, but that's the, all that's in the archives as well. Uh, how important was it for you to connect with the other veterans on campus? Like you said that you did in that forum. It was critical. It's critical to be around people that can relate to your experiences in one way or another. And, uh, and there were veterans from all different kinds of services and there were people that were still in, that were involved with us. There were, you know, dependents of other former service members and other veterans that were involved with us. And it was just a way to connect with people uh, on that same platform uh, full circle, you know. So I'm, I got to meet, I think one of the coolest people I actually got to meet through um, being in GOB Veterans was a, a ranger from World War II. And he came to speak what? at the campus. Yeah. <laughs> he came to speak at the campus. And it was a really incredible story. Uh, he talked about his experiences. He had actually captured a group of Nazis that were having lunch by a riverside or a creek or something. And all of their weapons were like leaning up against a tree. And while they were having coffee and, and crumpets or out of And so he just, yeah, he was armed and he just pointed at him and says, well, guess what? You're mine. And I uh, brought him in. And so the flag he actually captured from them, he brought and uh, he had it hanging in the background or I think so, or, or he had like a screenshot of it, but he showed it to us and it was really cool. I think it had a few bullet holes in it. <laughs> That's outstanding. That's outstanding. Um, any cool accomplishments when you were at GW veterans? Uh, did you hold any gaming tournaments or anything? Uh, I, I wanted to, <laughs> did you, <laughs> I was actually, I had actually, uh, I had many conversations about setting up gaming tournaments and there was a gaming club at GW. Um, but it, it's hard to do that. to have extra activities that involved when you're taking coursework. That's oh, difficult. a hundred percent. I think that needs to be like a, you know, I, I, Esports was kicking up, right? Pretty, like just starting to kick up around that time. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I know when I was at NASCAR, I really, I pitched esports uh, and they're doing it now. Um, you know, I think SVA is a perfect vehicle to have like a league or something, you know? Uh, 
something like that. Great idea. Yeah. Uh, I like it. uh, We've, I've explored that with the VA too. And so, hint, hint, wink, wink, maybe there's a partnership there. Um, How did you find your way to ZeniMax online studios? Like how did you go from graduation to this really cool career? So the year that I was my senior year and the, the, the last year I was at GW, um, the virtual reality headsets had just started coming out and I decided to get myself for a graduation present, the HTC Vive. Okay. And it's a really cool, uh, it's a room scale VR headset. And I had always been a big fan of um, games from uh, Bethesda, like Fallout and Elder Scrolls. I'd, I'd been playing them throughout my whole life. Yeah, and I played uh, Elder Scrolls Five Skyrim extensively, but when I got that HTC Vive headset, eventually they released a version of Skyrim that was in VR, and I played that, and to me that was it. I just <laughs> you you go in that experience, and you're just like, wow, there's so much you can do here, and so uh, I'm really is the immersion excited. the immersion's that good? I I think so. Yeah, it changes everything to me because you know you go from sort of projecting yourself as a character on your screen that's maybe this big and then you're fighting monsters that are this big, but it's just on your screen. Yeah. So you you relate to it the way that the, the character representation of you is relating to it. But when you put a headset on and you are the character and you're standing there and things are scaled to you and your height and you look at that dragon and that thing is, is 20, 35 feet tall, it's, it's a really memorable experience. Yeah. Um, I... So, but not just with video games, I, I was really fascinated with where that was going with the tech world. Uh, so I had to dive in. So I really looked into that and I was, I was doing a, another deep dive into the, the video game world and I had to know everything with the uh, virtual reality and what was going on with that. And that was just what bridged me into it. That was my, my, uh, my fuel for getting into the industry. Gotcha. So that was your fuel. So, so you did your research. Now, obviously you probably found Zenimax and, and Bethesda was just right up there. Just like I did when I, when I was, I initially looked into this, you know, as a video editor, video producer, you're like, Oh, gaming industry, they have a lot of stuff. So, yeah. Um, did you just apply online? Like, yeah. how did you, that, that was it. You just applied online and, and got, went through that process. Yeah. So I sent out my resume. It probably wasn't the best resume because I, I never have gone through like my military experiences and skills and tried to translate them to, to civilian terminology. Yeah. Um, but I had a great friend uh, that I'd gone to college with that was working there and he had been working there from uh, early on. His name is Vince Wong. Great friend. He's been a great friend to me for a really long time. Awesome. And he had encouraged me to apply uh, years ago, actually. And when I told him I was interested in it again, uh, he encouraged me again. And uh, I think the biggest push though was for my wife who knew how passionate I was about video games and, and these kinds of things. And uh, the combination of, of my wife and my friends pushing me to do it really uh, got me to do it. So it wasn't as simple as like, oh, I just applied and it was it. Like I had to convince myself that I should even apply. And I'm really glad I did because it's a great In, job. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Interesting that you had to convince yourself to apply. That's, I think it's key for anybody that's listening to that. Um, 
So yeah, overall, we can talk about that. If, pe- if, if there's vets that are interested in the, in the video game industry, I'm happy to talk about it. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure people will be hitting you up after this as well. Um, you know, it, it's funny that you said, though, but, but I want to hit on the point that the fact that you said uh, you had to convince yourself to apply, because unless you try, you don't really know. Yeah. If you can, if you, you know, it's like a confidence thing, right? Is that what it was? Well, I think. How, how can I put this? Um, there are some intellectual heavyweights in the video game industry. And so it's you, you. I questioned my own intelligence and my ability to, to be able to, to morph into that. Cause I haven't done software development before. Yeah. My, my jobs were uh, in the military were being a paratrooper and uh, that's not one for one with the software development, but luckily a lot of the, the framework from the military uh, helps me stay focused when I, when I work. All the in intangible stuff. The, yeah. The commitment yeah. and that sort of, you know, I, I but I think, I think it's so important that you said that because you're coming from an infantry and you went for a degree and you went for, you really went for a career that you're, 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 you're passionate about. Cause a lot of people tell a lot of infantry guys, Hey, all you're going to be good is for is corrections officer or police officer or janitor. Yeah. And that's just not true. And, yeah. and you, you, sir, are Tommy, are you're, you're a living embodiment of that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was determined to, get into something that I was interested in because anytime that I tried to be in a job where I wasn't interested in the industry, I was just dragging my feet, yeah. you know, thinking of ways to get out of there. Um, and that's true. I think in any job that you do. So there was, there were people I met in the military that were going to do it a full 20 years and they're incredible, but they know where they want to be. So they're comfortable in that, uh, wearing that hat. So, I think finding a place that works for you that makes you comfortable like that is, is ideal. And you get your best performance from being surrounded by people that share those interests. A hundred percent, a hundred percent brother. Um, so overall as a, as a quality assurance tester, I'm just going to say game tester for short for, for the rest of the interview is, is your job to try and break and exploit game loops or is it to measure your level of fun uh, playing the core base of the game? Is it both? Uh, or, or are you on like the edges of the map trying to see if you can clip through mountains? Um, how do you go about your job? I would say that you just do whatever needs to get done. So like when, when I showed up to my first job at the infantry, you know, you show up formation, you get your tasks for the day and you do them. So the same thing in QA, there's a lot going on. And for a game like this, because the Elder Scrolls Online is a massive multiplayer online role-playing game. And what that means is you have a ton of players in the same game at the same time. So they can talk to each other, they can interact, they can battle each other, and they can do all kinds of things. It's, a, it's an entire world, <laughs> literally. Yes, it's incredible. And it's so, it's so immersive that, I mean, you can get your own real estate and, and take things you've collected from your adventures and put them in your home and invite people to your home. So it's really incredible. And because it's its own world, there is so much to do work-wise. So whatever needs to get done, I just make myself available for. And even if I don't know how to do it, I just, I ask people and, you know, they'll teach me what I need to know. And that's it. Okay. Uh, it's, it's been really great. I've gotten to see a little bit of everything about 
how it works overall as a business, as an industry. I'm fascinated with it all. I'm soaking it all up. I love it. It is uh, an amazing intersection of computer science, engineering, technology, and art. And I love seeing artists work with engineers and scientists and so on to, to create the worlds that we see because it, it's just truly incredible. So give me some examples of some of the things that you have worked with and on and like what it, like a task that you've accomplished or something like that, just to give someone an idea of like, okay, what, what could happen in that job? Well, you're going to do a lot of game testing if you're a game tester. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, but what is that? What is that? What is that? Uh, what does that encompass? Like, what does game testing encompass? Like, is it literally just playing the core part of the game, or are you literally trying to break it? Well, definitely, you want to try and break it for sure. Okay. Because if you don't, then other players will definitely find out how. Okay. And, um, but it's not just about breaking it. You know, it's 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 inherent within the title of quality assurance. You want to make sure that what's getting out the door is looking good. So it's just like when you're in the military and you're doing your vehicle check, you know, you want to make sure everything runs so that when you go to hit the accelerator, you know, that vehicle moves. So a video game is the same way, you know, like you just want to make everything, you want to make sure everything is working right so that everything fires off correctly. Um, It, it reminds me a lot of doing vehicle maintenance checks, honestly. Interesting. It's not a one for one, obviously, but you're still working with machinery, you know. Interesting. And I'm I mean, I'm not sitting there pulling a wrench or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Software. But uh I think if you're technically minded, you you'll do well. But even if you are it's a cool job because a studio like this, you know, values people from all kinds of backgrounds. So you don't even have to have like a specific skill set like that. But if if you're artistic and creative, you know, you're going to do great in, in video games. If you're a technological wizard, you're going to do amazing in video games as well. And, and I think the, the biggest thing, of course, is getting along with everybody you work with. Yeah, uh, that's, that's and it's, it's easy to when you share the same interest because, you know, we all are, everybody there is a gamer. And we all play video games, so we're all talking about it all the time. Uh, it's a great environment, so we share those same passions. That's, that's awesome. That's key. Uh, absolutely key. Getting along with people that you work with. Um, has it, it doesn't sound like it's taken away from any joy from playing video games. I, uh, for example, I, there's a guy I worked with, he was an NBA fan. Uh, he produced videos for NASCAR and I was like, do you ever want to produce videos for the NBA? And he's like, no, I don't want to be burnt out on about the NBA. Um, and, and so it doesn't sound like that's, that's happening with you yet. Or if it ha- if it even will. No, if anything, I want to play video games more. I, I, <laughs> That's awesome. I love being involved with the process. I I always want to learn something else about it. I want to learn something new about it every day. And there's so much to learn. There's so much to see and experience. So I just every day you wake up. I think when you're when you're involved with the video game industry, it's what what amazing is what's something amazing that's going to happen today and i'm pretty sure it will and i'm usually right you know and i think gaming is uh, is a really great way to stay connected to your veteran friends you know i i don't play elder scrolls anymore i haven't played it in a while one it's a giant time sink uh and two i've been taking anytime i do get a game i i play madden now uh it's there's a timer 
right? So you get to, yeah. you, there's, you know, you have one game and then you're done. And, but you still have the online franchise mode where you can still connect with your veteran. You can still have other teams that are, that are, uh, your friends. And, uh, and that's how we, I still connect to a lot of my friends in the veteran community. Well, I think that you'd probably like, uh, what we're doing this year with Elder Scrolls Online. So I'm going to see if I can pull you back in because, uh, <laughs> this year is the Gates of Oblivion story for Blackwood. Uh, and it's really cool. It's a really cool experience. There's a lot of stuff to see. Um, I'm a big fan of the Xbox Game Pass. It gives you access. It's kind of like the, I don't know if I should say that, like the Netflix of gaming. I hear it said a lot, but you subscribe to the pass and then you get to play a huge list of uh, games from the Xbox library. Yeah. A lot of games like you're talking about from EA are on there, but it's a great way to connect with people. And it's, it makes it easier now. It's, it's, easier now more than ever to connect with the people that you want to play with. And because of things like this, because sometimes it's hard to, to get somebody into a game because you don't want to buy them a $60 copy when you've already spent $60 on your copy. Yeah. So now if you've got the game pass, you can get into these co-op games and get in there and, uh, and play together. And I think that's really worthwhile. I've seen a lot of, uh, a lot of this, a lot of uh, video game interactions help a lot of people when they get back. And uh, I think it does really well for them. And I've seen stuff on the VA website uh, related to just that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the VA website. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I think there was an article I just read yesterday about what they were doing with accessibility and then therapy and training. Exactly. Yeah. With the, with the game pads and uh, the Microsoft uh, game controls. Yeah. No, I, you know, Madden, that that's the core of keeping some of a lot of these veteran friendships alive that I still have. Um, we play, we play Madden, we have our own teams and then we keep in touch with discord. We have like a hall of records. We have like a, uh, you know, you know, we, we, you know, there's, uh, cause some of the stats that, that Madden doesn't keep like the yearly MVPs and who wins the Super Bowl and stuff like that. Like we keep that in a record in discord and then we still, and then, we have like another little chat box for free agents or, or for trading and things like that. But you know, there's six or seven guys in there and that's how we, we stay in touch. Awesome. Yeah. That's what I love about it. And uh, you can stay connected with your friends, keep doing the stuff you want to do, no matter what you're doing or where you're doing it at. And it's, if you served in the military, you know how hard it can be to stay connected with the people that you served with because you're just the way that life takes you. It's all over. So it's really great for staying connected with them. Now working for Zenimax, is there a veteran click, a veteran dynamic, veteran group affiliation, either within Zenimax or within the gaming community? You know, a lot of companies like Microsoft, Amazon, Allstate, Charter, Spectrum, uh, Spectrum Communications, or some of the people I've interviewed, uh, they've built like a military affairs division to not only recruit veterans to their company, but to train them for civilian integration and and also some like Coke Industries. Um, they train their supervisors to understand the kind of person that they're getting when they hire a veteran and to help train them, to help them understand and integrate, you know, what, what to make, find out what veterans tick and that way they can, they can have a better, uh, more cohesive unit. Uh, does Zenimax have anything like that? Is there anything like that in the gaming community in general? So, and, uh, so we were recently acquired by Microsoft and now are under Xbox. So what I love about that is, is that Microsoft has done some great things with the VA in the past. Yeah. Um, I remember when they uh, introduced the Microsoft Xbox adaptive controllers to some of the VA centers 
And that helped a lot of uh, disabled uh, service members. And I, I think that kind of stuff is incredible. Yeah, I think that was, a couple, that, that, that was a couple years ago. I think I read that in a news release. Yeah. 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 And you can, I think it was limited who got access to that, but I think you can just buy those now. Yeah. And I think they're really great if you're, if you're looking to, to stay in the game and you're having difficulty with a traditional controller. Um, I love what they do with veterans and for veterans. And so I, I was really excited about that acquisition. And I think that the, one of the greatest ways, if you're, so I, I think this question is like, if you're looking to get in the industry, like, and, and you're a veteran and you're trying to develop a skill set to get in, I think one of the best ways to do it is through the Microsoft Software Systems Academy. Yes. And it used to, it used to take from your GI Bill, but now it doesn't. I think because of the pandemic, they, they made it all online and it's all free to veterans. So, that's incredible. Yeah, that's that's really worthwhile, and they've got a high success rate. So I, I'm just really proud to be a part of that in some small way. Yeah, Danny Chung came on the podcast probably about two years ago. He's the director of the Microsoft Military Affairs and talked about that. That and there's also like a spouse uh, military training academy. You'd have to look at the blog or have to yeah. look at that that episode to listen to it. But awesome. yeah, a lot of good, a lot of good, a lot of a lot of stuff that that Microsoft does in in, in training veterans for the next step if they want to get into that career. Um, so, so yeah, if you get a chance, uh, say hi to Danny Chung there, if you ever, if you're getting that, get involved. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely look him up. Definitely look him up. Also my old CEO from, uh, from my like training school. Um, yeah. So it's fun to see him do go from, you know, being my company commander pretty much to, to what he's doing now. It's incredible. Um, so what is, what is the next career track for, for a, a video game tester, a QA tester? What, what would be the next step in your career? Uh, well, you can always, you know, stay in quality assurance, but there's other departments in the, in the studio. Um, if you go to jobs.zenamax, let me see, let me pull up the website real quick. Jobs.zenamax.com slash jobs. There's all kinds of stuff. You can break it down what kind of positions are available by department and location because we have, you know, studios and offices all over the world. Yeah. Um, and I think if you get into quality assurance and the QA, it's a really good way to see what the industry is like. And then you can look into those other departments and see if there's anything else you like, or maybe you love doing quality assurance. But there are a lot of career paths. There's production, there's engineering, there's computer science you know, designers, artists, animators, marketing, you know, yes, marketing <laughs> <laughs> big time, especially with some of those AAA titles. Uh, how is it? Okay. So we've talked a lot about Bethesda. There's Zenimax. How are those two related? Because Bethesda, you know, it was a AAA independent studio before the, the acquisition and they made elder scrolls that we've talked about uh, the fallout series. Um, and Zenimax has a hand in those, but Zenimax also has a hand in other iconic IPs like doom. Dishonored, Wolfenstein, yeah. Quake, um, you know, Rage and Evil Within are also, uh, you know, critically acclaimed. How, how great do those games. two, how do, the, yeah, great games. How, how do those two interact, uh, these two companies? Well, there's Xenomax Media, which is like the overarching company. And then there's Xenomax Online Studios. There's the Bethesda Studio that uh, develops video games. And then there's the, the publisher that okay. publishes all these games that you're talking about. And then each of these studios falls under Xenomax and then that now under Xbox and Microsoft. Um, 
But don't quote me. I'm not an expert on this stuff on, on organizational structure. <laughs> You're <laughs> That's like, it's how not, I understand it, it. I think <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't seem as linear as like division regiment battalion company. You know, it just seems like there's a lot of things going on there. A lot of yeah. things going on. It feels a lot like you're, I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan, but it feels like you're on the USS Enterprise and there's just a lot going on. Everybody's got their jobs to make the ship run, but everybody's got to make that ship run. Yeah. And so that's a lot of uh, how it feels like. So it's almost like there's kind of, it's not even like, okay, so there's Zenimax and then there's like all these affiliation studios underneath. Very, very good. Very good. Um, Tommy, what's, um, what's a piece of advice that you would have for anybody that's getting out and wants to work in the video game industry other than a start as a QA tester? I would say get involved with uh, veteran service organizations, get linked up with other veterans because when you're getting out, there's a lot of things you need to get squared away and they're going to help get you set up for success. So uh, veterans throughout my life have helped me out, mentored me and, and got me to where I need to go. Um, especially when I got out of service and I was starting my life as a civilian and getting into becoming a student. Um, they will help you with all of your questions that you have about where to go, what to do, who to talk to. Um, I was heavily involved with Student Veterans of America and JB Vets, obviously. Uh, I think there's a lot of great service organizations out there. You mentioned Team Rubicon. I'm a huge fan of them. Yeah. Uh, Wounded Warrior Project is another great organization uh, if you need to um, tap into those kind of resources. Um, and there are all kinds of things in the industry now if you're interested in getting in there. So I think there's SkillBridge now. I've heard good things about that from uh, from other buddies. So do your SkillBridge. And if you're worried about having a skill set like I was, do some training online, get some, get some certifications under your belt so that you've got something to bring to the table. But I think that a lot of veterans have a lot to bring to the table and uh, would do very well in this industry. Very good. So like, uh, uh, absolutely. Especially with all the intangibles that veterans bring. Um, but you're talking like the online certifications, like probably like LinkedIn learning or something like that. I love the LinkedIn learning courses. I think they're, they're really on point. Um, and it saves you your GI bill tank you know, doing courses like that and getting those certifications. So you can use that for something later on and uh, doing something uh, a little more heavyweight on your uh, resume. Very good. Very good. Um, Tommy, what's one thing that you learned in the military that you apply to what you do today? If you were to pick one thing, I know there's many things sometimes. And discipline. I think discipline and time management are key to success. And it helped me survive in the military for uh, a nerdy guy like me who is really only interested in video games and I'm, I'm doing some rough jobs, but being on time saves you a lot of pain uh, and, and can't be on time without having discipline. Yeah. So it It's funny when you, when you talk about that nerdy guy in the infantry and, and, and where you're at now, I'm like, man, he should have, you know, you know, he should have, but you know, it's funny that you didn't even think of like going into like an S six field, you know, and then, and then, but, it, but it, it, obviously it sounds like you wouldn't have traded your experience for the world either. So it, it, no, it, it the it, guys it, I met there, I mean, they were great. And yeah. also, you know, 
when I served in the infantry, I would say that almost every single one of my battle buddies was playing video games as soon as they got off work anyways. <laughs> like we all had our own systems. We had our own computers and we were all playing video games heavily. Tommy, is there, is there anything that I've missed or haven't asked that you think it's important to share? I would say thanks to my wife, first of all. Uh, and if you are a veteran and you have a wife, a spouse, a husband, a significant other, uh, you should thank them for supporting <laughs> you <laughs> because that's been critical to everything that I do. Um, and don't doubt yourself. And if you are doubting yourself about your career transition and where you want to go and what you want to do and what you want to be when you grow up, you know, talk to your peers. Talk to other veterans, talk to them about what you're about and what you want to do. And they will help you get there in my experience. Sounds like veterans have helped you. And it sounds like your spouse has been a huge influence on you. I mean, that kind of support is irreplaceable, you know, and, and having that kind of uh, insight into, into your own life and interests is, is critical. Yeah. Because without that perspective, I mean, you can get pretty lost. Yeah. I I don't think I've told this story on the podcast, but my wife applied to this job on my behalf. I didn't even do it. I didn't even do it. She's like, she's like, you have an interview on Monday. I was like, for what? She was like, oh, to tell veteran stories. I was like, okay, I can mess with that. Yeah. Yeah. Great wife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, shout out to all the spouses out there. And I like um, the podcast. I've actually been listening to it for a while. I listened to the, the previous host and I've been listening to you. Oh, wow. And uh, you've been doing a great job. I really like that interview with Jake Wood. Oh, and wow. uh, this format, I think, is really good for veterans. I think this podcast is a big step in the right direction for the VA and, and getting that information out and making it relatable and digestible. I appreciate that. I really do appreciate that. I, it's again, when you talk about when you, you talk about having a passion, uh, it makes your job easier, a lot easier. So I re- thank you. I appreciate that. Um, well, Jake, uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, Jake. When I, when I talked about, I'm sorry, Jake. I said, did I say Jake? I <laughs> <laughs> had my mind on Jake Wood. Uh, well, <laughs> well, 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 Tommy, th- well, Tommy, thanks you for coming on. Uh, when I talked about this interview beforehand and, and, and I explained what you, what you did for a living, a lot of people asked me, how did, how did you get that gig? I want that gig. So hopefully we've answered uh, a lot of questions today. Um, for people that have, you know, for people that have that question, uh, really appreciate you coming on and helping out with that. Hey, thanks for having me on. And, uh, thanks for what you do for veterans and thanks to all the veterans out there that are listening, uh, for everything they do. Strength is something earned, not given. Dedication means pursuing your passion every day. Healing is something we do together and together we put veterans first search va careers to find out how I want to thank tommy for joining us and showing all you grunts out there that you can do more and your career options are more diverse than what you think you can find more information uh, on what Tommy does by, you know, you can Google quality assurance tester for a video game company uh, or go to elderscrollsonline.com uh, to see his credit 
or you can find him on LinkedIn. This week's Born the Battle of Veteran of the Week is from our VA Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our digital media team honors a veteran on all of our social media platforms and with a blog on blogs.va.gov. You can nominate the veteran in your life by emailing in a short write-up and a couple of photos to newmedia at va.gov. Patrick Peter Caruana was born in November 1939 in St. Louis. He enlisted in the Air Force while he was still in high school. Immediately after graduation, Caruana went to Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio to complete basic training. He then completed technical school training to become an aircraft mechanic. After he served as a mechanic for two years, Patrick received an appointment to the Air Force Academy in June of 1959. Patrick then completed one year of pilot training at Vance Air Force Base in Oklahoma, where he learned how to fly jet aircraft. He served as an Air Force officer for the next 33 years. Started from enlisted, and you'll see where he goes. Check this out. During the Vietnam War, Patrick served at two bases I can't pronounce their names in Thailand and Pan Rang in South Vietnam. He flew missions to support troops in South and North Vietnam. Caruana also flew combat support missions to transport troops and supplies for the Army and Special Forces. In September of 1989, Caruana then became the commander of the 42nd Air Division Strategic Air Command at Grand Forks Air Base, North Dakota. He then served as a commander of strategic forces in Saudi Arabia from August of 1990 till March of 1991 during Desert Shield and Desert Storm. He, along with several other officers, planned and executed the Desert Storm Air Campaign. Patrick was in charge of all U.S. Air Force refueling, B-52 bombing, and reconnaissance operations. He also commanded the 17th Air Division, which had 12 wings of tanker, bomber, and reconnaissance aircraft. In 1997, Cargana retired at the rank of Lieutenant General, having logged over 5,000 flying hours and 500 combat hours. He now serves as the Chairman of the Board of Directors for Family Policy Alliance and he's been there since 2013. Air Force veteran Patrick Caruana, thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a feature born the battle veteran of the week so we can all learn their story, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the born the battle veteran of the week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song, and was written by Marine veteran Mark Milkilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. We'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gun. Fire, bullets fly, day and night brain. Simplify till we die another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 